Isn't spring wonderful, but also cold and wet? This is Garth in the lost cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts, trying to stay out of the rain. But I had to go into the rain to look for a vanished community. Vanished from society and then vanished from memory. Some places are lost on purpose and want to be forgotten. But if you wander far enough, you'll be able to find them. So hike along with us down the wet paths as we make our way to No Town, Massachusetts. So, we're in uh, Evergreen Cemetery in Leominster, Massachusetts, and it is a rainy and cold Memorial Day weekend, and as people should do on Memorial Day, visit the, uh, the grave of someone who served to protect our country and this particular person that we're looking for is the starting point for the story of our lost community that we're going to be checking out afterwards. And I'm walking down Palmer Road within the cemetery and I'm on my way to section two to look for this particular grave which is an unusual grave, and I'll explain why. Okay, and unlike some, uh, some other things that you have to hunt for, this one was actually pretty easy to find. The grave of Palmer is right on the main stretch on the edge of the cemetery, and if you come looking for it, you will know it because there's a face on the tombstone that has a giant beard. And it says right underneath, persecuted for wearing the beard. Yes, you've heard that right. A man persecuted for wearing a beard. Seems very strange to us now. But we're reaching back into a world that is long forgotten. And Mr. Palmer himself came from a place and a time that was long forgotten even in his time. He was a complex man and it's a complex story of early Massachusetts history that really deserves to be understood. And of course Lemonster is a big place and we're going to be starting off by talking to somebody who grew up there who can give us some insight into the town itself. So, I'm here with Rich, and Rich, what town did you grow up in in Massachusetts? I grew up in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Yeah. And there, there are many people who might be looking up the name he just said and not really understanding the spelling. It's spelled Leo Minster. 
<laughs> and that's how people who don't know it um, pronounce it, but it's lemon stir, like you take a lemon and you stir it. <laughs> that's perfect. Take a lemon stir, it. a lemon and you stir it. Because we have a funny way of saying things in Massachusetts, especially place names, are, uh, are difficult for people who aren't from here, trying to get directions. Uh, so, was it nice growing up in Lemonster? It was the only place I knew, so it was nice enough, you know? <laughs> um, I didn't have a lot of places to compare it to. Um, you know, Lemonster was uh, an old mill town. Um, yeah. It, it was uh, plastics pioneering capital of the world, at least that's what the billboard says sure. when, when you drive through it. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of tool and die shops. Um, and the center of commerce in Lemonster and employment was Foster Grant for many, many years. Okay. And that's the sunglasses. And sure. Remember, you know, um, who's that behind those Foster Grants? This goes back a long ways now. The, the most recent popular culture reference was in the movie Midnight Run, where De Niro is making fun of the FBI agent with the sunglasses and calls him Agent Foster Grant. <laughs> um, so they were a sunglass company. Uh, my father actually worked for them. Really? Um, and they went out of business. They were bought out in the 80s, early 80s. Um, but for many, many years, um, that was kind of the chief business yeah. and factory in Massachusetts, in, in Lemonster. Growing up in Lemonster, did you ever hear about a place called No Town? Never heard of it. You never heard of No Town? No. It's fascinating how um, these things can become kind of buried and vanished, but that's the whole point of what I'm talking about, is that you can grow up somewhere and you cannot know that this thing happened right in your town. Did you, yeah. do you are you familiar with the name Joseph Palmer? Does no. that name ring a bell? All right, I'm gonna show you a picture. Um, and let's see here. Nice and big. This is this is actually a picture of a gravestone. Have you ever seen this gravestone? No, I don't think I have. The, the, the cemetery looks very familiar to that's me. That's the Evergreen Cemetery in Lemonster. Okay. So, have you ever seen have you ever seen a gravestone quite like this? I've never seen a gravestone like that. What do you What do you see in the picture? It looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> it looks like Santa Claus. So the uh, the gravestone is of uh, of Joseph Palmer. And it's a, it's a face of a man with a, a very large beard. Now, the story and why this is significant is that he was a veteran of the War of 1812. You know, he's a fairly distinguished gentleman. But long after the war, uh, beards and facial hair, hair altogether had fallen out of favor in, in, in America. It was no longer fashionable okay. for men to wear facial hair. And if you look at, you know, portraits of the presidents and things like that, none of them have any facial hair. Mm -hmm. It's not until the Civil War that you start seeing people with big bushy beards and sideburns and giant mustaches. Mm -hmm. So there's a period of time where beards were really associated with riffraff and crazy people and unkempt people. Mm -hmm. And it was seen as being a a sign of somebody who was filthy and didn't take care of himself. Men's hair, facial hair, is a 
complex thing. Depending on where you live or what time period you lived in, you may have been required to have a certain kind of facial hair. You may have been required to shave completely all the time. Alexander the Great made his troops shave because he realized that in battle, somebody could grab your beard and pull your head down. Of course, we associate military with being clean-shaven, short hair now, but that wasn't always the case. It was only after trench warfare when soldiers began contracting lice that they started shaving their heads. And throughout the centuries in America in particular, men's facial hair has been the subject of debate and dispute. In some municipalities, at different times, facial hair has been illegal. In some places, they would measure the length of your beard, the length of your sideburns, to make sure that it was in compliance with local standards. If you're a firefighter, you might not want to have a beard. It could burn up, and your safety equipment might not fit properly over it, and you won't be able to breathe. If you're Amish, you can't grow a beard until you're married. I could go on and on about the varieties of rules and customs surrounding it, but the point here is that Joseph Palmer lived in a time when it wasn't acceptable. And if he went into town, people would make fun of him. But one day in 1830, they did more than just laugh at him. While he was walking through Fitchburg, four men tackled him with scissors and razors and tried to remove his beard by force. But Joseph wasn't having any of it, and he pulled out his own knife and stabbed two of them in the legs. Now, one might think this would be an open and shut case of self-defense, but they actually threw Palmer in jail and they kept them there for a year. And they kept them in there for a year, partially because he refused to pay the fines. He refused to admit his guilt. And he shouldn't have. He didn't do anything wrong. His poor treatment in jail only made the situation worse and only reinforced his belief that he was being dealt with in an unjust manner. Now, this may have not just been about his facial hair. The issue may have been more about where he came from and what he represented. What makes him interesting, in addition to being a... Um, a beard protester, I guess you could call him, uh, or somebody somebody who stood up for himself, you know, in the face of uh, an unfashionable fashion, is he lived in a section of Lemonster that wasn't really a section of Lemonster. And it was referred to the locals as No Town. And No Town was literally No Town. It wasn't part of any particular place and it bled into Fitchburg and Princeton mm -hmm. and the other towns in the area. But it was home to a lot of people who didn't really want to be part of what was then modern society. Mm -hmm. They wanted to live their own way. 
So these people were kind of seen as being oddballs. Um, and uh, Sounds like a lot of his descendants then would, would still be in Lummi's. It's, it's possible, you know. So I'll show you um, a map. So this is, this is a map of the Lemonster State Park here. And, and in this section here where there's all these different trails, those were, those were actually the roads for the town, for, for no town. Huh. And with, within this area, uh, there's a lot of cellar holes and ruins and different things. If you go poking around, you can find. Yeah, some foundations. But this, this section that's sort of between Princeton and Lemonster and Fitchburg was this sort of like, you know, unincorporated area where people had just sort of done their own thing. Hmm. No town existed in the liminal space between Fitchburg, Lemonster, Westminster, Princeton, and Sterling, Mass. We've visited abandoned settlements and places that have been transformed over the years, but how exactly does a town that doesn't exist come into existence and then get so easily wiped off the map? Most colonial settlements were the result of charters issued by government. They were religious as well as commercial entities. The community formed around a church, and their sponsorship was often connected to specific obligations. A community, in terms of a specific municipality, was never established in no town. Rather, the area was a collection of land grants issued to the families of soldiers from the French and Indian Wars, meaning before the establishment of the United States. The French and Indian War in New England was part of a global conflict between England and France known as the Seven Years' War. This conflict made a young George Washington a hero and also resulted in England gaining control of most of Canada. Instead of paying veterans or their families directly, the King of England and colonial authorities gave land and border areas as payment, but also as a buffer against further French expansion. This is what No Town was. But let's go in and see what No Town still is. Okay, we are now entering Lemonster State Park from Elm Street. And we're walking up what's called Parmenter Street, but it's, or Parmenter Road. I mean, it's, it's a dirt road, it's a partially flooded dirt road and there's a gate across it i mean it's really only for um off-road vehicles and this season right now it the gate's closed so we're going to walk into no town from here one thing to be aware of uh as you hike this section that you're going to hear a pop 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 in the distance and there is a sporting rifle range that is nearby but uh that's where it is. Nobody's shooting at you. Hopefully I've captured the sound of the rainfall on the leaves. And this is mostly what we've encountered out here today. All right, now we're turning off of Parmenter Road on what I believe is No Town Road. I'm calling these roads, but there's no street signs and they don't really look much like roads. But we're gonna duck in here and see what we can find. Yeah. 
Right, so that other path, not No Town Road, and the reason I know that is because we found the right one that actually had a sign on it. Um, the map was a little difficult to read, and the map is also starting to, to disintegrate because of the rain and the rain, but now we're on the proper No Town Road looking for more stuff. So I took a picture of a cellar hole, a fairly big one, but I think under these conditions, it's actually really hard to see because of the lack of perspective, the poor lighting and the growth this time of year. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a really nice park. It's a beautiful place. It's just kind of miserable under these conditions. If it was, uh, if it was not raining, it would be perfect. If it was 20 degrees warmer and raining, that would probably be okay too. But this is just not good. It's especially not good for um, the end of May. You would expect better weather at this point. And there's a truck coming behind us. Believe it or not, out here in the middle of all this, in the lost town of No Town, there's a truck coming. All right, I'm gonna get out of his way. So, it's hard to tell uh, what we're looking at sometimes because it's very green right now. This is, this is the time of the year when everything has exploded and overgrown. Sometimes it's better to check these places out uh, in the fall and in the winter, early spring, before it turns green. We are finding some circular holes in the ground and what look like they could have been rocks for foundations is definitely some some stone walls cutting through different parts of the trail we've gone down. Uh, we've reached an intersection, and but the only indicator is a sign at the top of a tree that says organism. I don't, I don't know what that is referring to. This might be part of some nature walk where they're telling you to look for something, but I'm going to check the map in anyway and see if organism is a location on the map. Guys, see if you see any other signs, please. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, turned around, across from Organism is a sign that says Split Rock. And I imagine Split Rock might actually be on the map. Just found a pile of old bricks. Could be a collapsed chimney, or it could be just a dumping around of somebody's very old debris. So we sort of found no town. The conditions were not great for exploring on that particular day, but it's definitely worth a visit and probably another look later. And we're actually not done with Lemonster and we're not done with Joseph Palmer. Joseph Palmer was actually connected to another lost Massachusetts place in the area known as the Fruitlands, which will be the subject of another episode. See, Joseph Palmer was part of a movement called the Transcendentalists, which is a broader topic that deserves more exploration. But Joseph Palmer actually got out of jail eventually, and uh, it was a good thing he stood up for himself. He lived to a ripe old age, and by the time he passed away, beards were in fashion again. 
Every, every town has its uh, myths and legends, its ghost stories. Are there any ghost stories from Lemons? Or anything come to mind? Any weird things that, that your parents told you to look out for or kids, you know, told stories about? So I've been a guest in one other podcast in my life. This is number two. And yeah. the other one, someone asked me about Lemonster. It wasn't about Lemonster. And the, the host had told me he'd watched a program called Paranormal Lemonster. Okay. Where there was a whole episode Get that out. he had seen all right. about all these paranormal activities in Lemonster. And he asked me about them. And I was about as useful to him about that. As I am to you about no time, <laughs> I had you know not, I had heard of none of it, uh, so he, he was telling me about it. Yeah, um, and I said that's all very interesting. But as far as uh, you know, ghost stories, no. The only one I can tell you was just within my own family that uh, the older siblings made up to scare younger siblings. Tell me. And there was <laughs> so this was. Around the time, of, it might have been before I was born, um, there was a, I have three older siblings, they're a lot older than me, and there was this flower shop, it might still be there, it was called Richard's Flower Shop, Okay. and they would my parents would drive by it with the kids and the older siblings, my older brother Gary and Patty would tell their younger brother Brian, who's older than me, yeah. uh, that a, a witch lived in Richard's Flower Shop, and so every time they'd drive by, Brian would duck underneath the seats. <laughs> And they kept that going. Wow. That's that's all I know. So I couldn't let that slide. This isn't the paranormal podcast, but it's definitely worth checking out. So I did, and in fact, Lemonster is a hotbed of strange activity. According to Ronnie LeBlanc, author of Monsterland, there have been multiple UFO sightings, various specific aliens, and in particular, Bigfoot sightings. The author himself claims to have been chased by Bigfoot inside of the Lemonster State Forest, where we have been conducting our research for this episode. The term Monsterland actually applies to an area around the Lemonster State Forest. Now, I'm not going to go into detail here, but I will link to LeBlanc's book and some articles about Lemonster's weirdness in the show notes. Stay tuned after the commercial, and we will give you directions to No Town, if you dare. Directions to No Town and the Joseph Palmer Grave. The Evergreen Cemetery is on Main Street in Lemonster, Mass. Main Street is also Route 13. This is directly off of Route 2. You can drive part way through the cemetery. Some roads are quite sketchy inside the cemetery. It's best to park in a flat section near the entrance and walk. The grave of Palmer is in Section 2, Lot 5 which is in the older section of the cemetery and can only be accessed on foot. 
Unlike some other graves or locations it was not difficult to find, Palmer's image on the grave kind of announces itself as you're walking. I will link to the cemetery map in the show notes. As always, be respectful of the dead. No town is within the Lemonster State Forest, which is accessible from Route 2 to Route 31. First, be aware there is a drivable road called No Town Road in Westminster, Mass. This does not go directly to the ghost town, but rather to the state forest where No Town is. Inside the state forest, there is also a No Town Road that is really a dirt path in the area of Old No Town, but these are clearly not the same road. This is a huge area with several entrances and not all have parking. Depending on the season, there might not be any parking because the area is used for hiking, camping, swimming, and mountain biking. It's a great place for all these things if you're planning a trip along with investigating the ghost town. It could be worth a mini vacation. The quote-unquote road that runs the length of the park through the area of No Town is called Parmenter Street, or Rocky Point Road depending on which side of the park you enter from. There is parking on both sides. The Elm Street parking lot is much closer to the No Town area, but if you want a longer walk or hike, you can park in the Rocky Point lot that is off of Fitchburg Road. I'm going to link to a video in the show notes by George F. 551, who has done some exploring of No Town. He enters the area from the abandoned Granite Street that is at the end of Mount Elam Road. I have no personal knowledge of this entrance, but the trail from that location does link to No Town Road inside the park. I will link to two different maps to show in the show notes. You might need both to get around. And some things to be aware of, there is a large sportsman's club property that abuts the park right where the No Town area is. There is an active rifle range there, so stay out of that section. Curiously, according to the maps and some markers on trees we saw, there are several private plots of land inside the park itself. They're not next to the park. You would have to cross into the park to get to these if they were your private plots. I couldn't see anything on the plots, no obvious structures, but perhaps this is where Bigfoot lives. Thanks for joining us to hear that long-haired tale of Joseph Palmer and the demise of No Town. Visit us again next time as we go deep underground to investigate a mysterious chamber and try to figure out who built it and why. Until then, this is Garth in the Lost Cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts reminding you it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor, 
there's a voice option or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us if you go to lostmassachusetts.com you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too also go to lost massachusetts at uh, instagram for photos and other details we will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show you might hear um, your own comment that's fun <laughs>